RTI International's Justice Practice Area presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for justice professionals and anyone interested in learning more about forensic science, innovative technology, current research, and actionable strategies to improve the criminal justice system. In episode four of our Human Trafficking, Policy and Research Analyses Project mini-season, Just Science sat down with Drs. Lily Yu and Josh Hendricks, research scientists at RTI International, to discuss a project which documents the implementation of school-based human trafficking safety and prevention programs. For decades, school systems have incorporated safety and prevention programs into their day-to-days, and in recent years, funding is being allocated for developing human trafficking prevention education for students, staff, and educators. As part of the Human Trafficking Youth Prevention Education Demonstration Grant Program, researchers are evaluating these new school-based human trafficking prevention programs to understand their implementation across eight local educational agencies. Listen along as Drs. Yu and Hendricks discuss the goals of human trafficking prevention education in schools, the challenges of developing a standard program to be used across diverse educational districts, and the activities that are used to evaluate these types of programs. This episode is funded by the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project. Some content in this podcast may be considered sensitive and may evoke emotional responses or may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Here's your host, Samantha Charm. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Just Science. I'm your host, Samantha Charm. On today's episode, we're going to discuss a project that is part of the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analysis Project. This project involves a process evaluation of the Human Trafficking Youth Prevention Education Demonstration Grant Program. We call this project HYPE. Here to discuss HYPE are Lily Yu and Josh Hendricks. Welcome, Lily and Josh. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having us. So can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? I'm a research scientist in the Victimization and Response Program at RTI International. And I've been at RTI for just under a year, but I've been doing work around human trafficking and system responses to gender-based violence for many years. HYPE is actually my first time working on school-based responses for violence prevention, which is super exciting. And I'm a violence prevention research scientist at RTI in the justice practice area. And much of my work over the last nine years has focused on the complex safety challenges that schools face and the ways they address them, for instance, with bullying and gang violence prevention programs. I've enjoyed working on the HYPE evaluation because I can apply my experience in school safety while also getting to learn more about human trafficking. And also because as evaluators, we have this unique opportunity to document how school-based human trafficking prevention education is implemented in real time. Thank you for that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the HYPE program in general? For example, what makes it different from other prevention education programs? Yeah. So Josh can tell you a little bit more about where HYPE sits in sort of this broader landscape of school-based violence prevention. Um, But I can give you some background on HYPE specifically. So HYPE is a national demonstration grant program funded by the Office on Trafficking in Persons, which we refer to as OTIP. And OTIP is situated within the Administration for Children and Families in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The HYPE program is carried out by 11 local educational agencies in the United States. And by local educational agency, or LEA, we mean some program sites are school districts, while others are regional agencies with multiple districts. And each local educational agency is also required to have a local nonprofit partner to help implement the program and provide community support. And oftentimes, they're also the ones who provide the actual prevention curricula itself. 
So our evaluation is focused on the first of three cohorts of local educational agencies that received funding, which consists of eight LEAs. Each HYPE project also has four core prevention components, a skill-based prevention education curriculum for students, a curriculum for staff and educators, a human trafficking school safety protocol, which Josh will talk more about later, and then a series of activities to create sustainability for the program once the grant ends, which we refer to as train-the-trainer activities. So the idea is really to create awareness of human trafficking amongst all leaders, educators, and school students within a single school, but also provide actionable steps for when there's an incident or suspected incident of human trafficking amongst students. And I learned a lot about school-based prevention efforts while evaluating height. So maybe Josh can say a little bit more about this. Sure. So some context that's important here is that human trafficking prevention education is emerging in an era of massive investments in school safety and alongside numerous other prevention efforts that schools have become involved with over the last couple of decades. While prevention education for tobacco and drugs and alcohol, they've been around for at least since the 1980s, violence prevention and other types of safety programming has become much more common in schools in just the last 20 years, to the extent that it's almost expected that schools are up to date on the latest trends and best practices and really doing everything they can to create safe learning spaces. And it's really no longer the case that students go to school just to learn science, math, and literature. The reality is that they're also learning about bullying and suicide prevention, online safety, and how to protect themselves from an active shooter. These are very complex problems. But one of the most actionable prevention strategies we have is to educate students and staff on how to identify and report unsafe situations. Some of these efforts have become almost universal, but others have not. And it really comes down to the needs of schools and their communities. For some, human trafficking is a serious safety concern, and school-based prevention education is one thing they can do to try to reduce that risk. I think what's different about human trafficking prevention education is that it's a topic that is new for a lot of people. While more veteran staff may have been taking annual training on bullying or suicide prevention for the last 10 or 20 years, in many cases, human trafficking is a whole new area for them, and it's a new safety concern that they're now responsible for helping to prevent. So I think there's a bit of a learning curve, and it's a topic that's complex with a lot of nuances that make it different from other safety issues. For many parents as well, this is also a term that they're not necessarily familiar with, and that can create additional challenges when it comes to getting that buy-in, which is so critical for successful implementation. Thanks, Josh. That's really helpful context about how hype and human trafficking training fits into other school-based prevention efforts. To me, it sounds like conducting an evaluation that involves eight different educational agencies sounds like a really big undertaking. Can you tell us a little bit about the evaluation you've been conducting for these programs? Yeah. So I just start off by saying, and this is what we tell program participants when we conduct focus groups and interviews, that we're doing what's called a process evaluation. Um, you're probably familiar with program evaluation and this idea of assessing whether the program quote unquote works or has a particular intended outcome. Our process evaluation of HYPE is more interested in sort of this, the implementation of the program. And this makes a lot of sense because it's a demonstration grant program, right? The goal is to figure out how to do human trafficking prevention in schools and at this scale. So, we're trying to understand the how and under what conditions the program is being carried out by each project team at the educational agency within schools in their district or across multiple districts. 
And we're really interested in the nitty gritty of things like how do you get district and school buy-in? How do you get parental permission? How do you actually train instructors to teach students this information? And how do you get feedback from everybody who's part of the program? Within each of the eight educational agencies, the height programs are being implemented in multiple schools and sometimes even in multiple districts within an educational agency. So then across the eight sites, there's a ton of variation in what the programs look like, how they're actually bringing those programs to schools, what their student populations look like, and so on. For instance, a Kent Intermediate School District, they're a regional agency that has 20 different school districts within it. And the HYPE program is carried out within a subset of those 20 districts at a subset of schools within each district. A site like Oakland Unified School District, however, is only one district and the programs within multiple schools. And then the schools themselves just can be really different. So, you know, we have your sort of standard neighborhood school, but we also have charter schools or specialty schools for kids who might need specialized educational and social support. And ultimately, our goal is, you know, we want to know what that experience is like for everyone. So what worked well? What could be improved? What were students' reactions? And we learned this information through a series of in-depth interviews and focus groups with program participants and staff. And I'll just mention a few other efforts we're engaged in that help to showcase the comprehensiveness of our evaluation. One of these is a review of many of the curricula grant recipients are using to educate staff and students about human trafficking. These reviews are giving us insight into the topics that were covered, how terms like labor trafficking are defined and explained to different types of audiences, and the activities and learning principles that instructors use to encourage comprehension. We created structured forms that a team of reviewers have used to go through each curriculum line by line and extract key information that we're using to draw some overarching themes. As part of that effort, we are also analyzing the feedback that sites received on their curricula throughout the review process they underwent with OTIP. And this has been important for understanding how the curricula evolved and the areas in which most grant recipients had to put in additional work to make them as clear and effective as possible. And I'll also mention that we're currently fielding two surveys to learn more about how implementation efforts have gone from the perspective of school administrators and also from counselors and other staff who have actually taught the curriculum to students in classrooms. And we're excited to see those results come in because school staff typically have great insight into what's working and what's not. So you mentioned this idea of variation across the schools and districts that are implementing the program. Can you give us an idea of what this variation or difference in implementation might look like? Yeah, absolutely. Variation in program implementation is so important to capture and understand because it reflects the fact that educational communities across the country are so different and so nuanced, right? And they have different needs. So there's a few things that really stand out to me. Probably first and foremost, there's a difference in the actual prevention curricula that every site is using. Some of the hype sites started with a curricula from one national prevention education provider. So they're all using the same curricula. And then some started with curricula that were developed by a local nonprofit partner. And a big part of the story then was the process by which each site had to revise and adapt and bolster their curriculum for their sites and their schools' individual needs over the first year of the program, while making sure that their curriculum met the requirements set out by the overarching program. So it's things like making sure there was a robust discussion of labor trafficking and not just sex trafficking, or that the imagery depicted diverse groups of students that actually reflected those in their community. 
Josh mentioned that we reviewed almost all of the curricula and the feedback they received from OTIP, which gave us a really detailed insight into just how these curricula really differ in the development process that they underwent in that first year. Second, the context in which the curricula for students and for educators and staff also really varied. So I'll just talk about the student curricula since this is where we're hearing participants talk about the trade-offs in instruction. In some schools, the people who actually teach the students the prevention education are in these sort of student support roles. So these are counselors and social workers. The pros of having these people teach the curriculum is that, you know, they're often already familiar with the topic and they know what to do if they suspect there's human trafficking amongst their students. The con, though, is that they're often stepping into a classroom to teach the curriculum. So they're not the teachers that students already know, and they might not know this, the classroom management piece that might be so important to instruction. And then when it comes to questions around long-term program sustainability, having counselors or social workers teach it outside of a regular class or existing required class is sort of an unanswered question. Other schools are doing their curricula in a required class, so they reach something like every ninth grader in their school via their English class. And then these schools also then will have the actual English teacher teach the curriculum. And so what you get there is that you reach more students consistently and you build a foundation for doing the curriculum beyond the grant. But the trade-off is that these teachers feel much less prepared than like a counselor or a social worker to teach another topic like human trafficking. And they typically need just a lot more support and training. And the third thing I'll mention briefly is that there's been a lot of variation in how the parental permission process works. In some schools, they don't need to seek parental permission to teach about human trafficking. Some schools do what's called passive permission, where they'll send a notice home, but they assume that, you know, it's okay to proceed as long as the parent or guardian doesn't object to their student participating in the curriculum. And then one of our program sites is in a state that has very strong active parental consent laws. And when we talk to the program staff, the teachers and the counselors in the site, they really emphasize, you know, just how challenging it is to get parental permission under this law. Hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would get really tricky, especially across so many different schools and districts or even state contexts. Yeah, it's definitely been really illuminating comparing the sites, but, you know, even districts within the same site and schools within the same district. I want to touch on something else you mentioned as one of hype schools which is that the program hopes for there to be actionable steps for educators in terms of recognizing and responding to human trafficking. Can you tell us a little bit more about this goal? Sure. So one of the goals of the HYPE program was for the grant recipients to develop a human trafficking school safety protocol. This is basically a written procedure that in theory standardizes the process for addressing a suspected case of human trafficking. The protocol provides staff with guidance on what constitutes trafficking, how to address student disclosures and comply with mandatory reporting laws, and how to connect students to services and support. All the grant recipients engaged in a thorough process to develop their protocols and worked with OTIP to get them approved so that they could be implemented in schools. And then they typically train staff on the protocol during general human trafficking awareness and prevention training sessions. So it was one component of a larger training. We've been speaking with counselors and other staff about situations involving suspected trafficking since the time their protocol was implemented. And so far, I think what we've learned is similar to what we've learned from other school safety research that the usage of a protocol is going to depend on a number of individual and organizational factors. 
much like lockdown protocols or procedures for handling a disclosure of suicidal ideation, it's the challenge for schools to figure out ways to communicate new protocols to staff in a way that they can understand and remember and feel confident enough to use during an actual crisis. In some cases, staff have found their protocol to be straightforward, and they've used it to screen situations to determine next steps, whether that meant calling Child Protective Services or involving law enforcement or some other action. So in sites like these, it's really a success story that the protocol helped to put a formal system in place where there might not have been one before. And the process has helped to keep students safe. But in other sites, we've heard that Staff might remember hearing about the protocol, but that they've not referenced it directly and don't feel completely confident in their ability to follow it as intended. Or that in a situation involving possible trafficking, they've opted to just pick up the phone and call a colleague to get guidance on how to handle it rather than actually refer to that protocol. So like with other areas of school safety, I think we will find it's pretty important for schools to provide staff with multiple opportunities to learn and practice the protocol throughout the school year using scenario-based exercises and other activities to help them really become more confident in using it. It has to be a priority to continuously work towards improving comprehension and efficacy with the protocol so that people will actually use it and so that ultimately you are reaching that goal of providing a consistent response every time a concern comes up. That's really nuanced. I mean, it's amazing that the HYPE program is trying to tackle both prevention and response. And you've kind of highlighted how challenging it can be to do both in a thoughtful manner, but also that it's really important to do so. Yes, and to do so given all the other responsibilities and constraints that educators face. Yeah, absolutely. So where are you in the evaluation process now? Yeah, we are in our third year of the evaluation, which is our last opportunity to learn from the program leaders and participants. In the first two years, we interviewed program leaders and their nonprofit partners about startups and initial implementation of their activities. And then this year, we are actually doing in-person and virtual site visits to hear from educators and staff themselves about their experiences with teaching the curriculum to students, in addition to receiving the educator and staff training, and like Josh mentioned, activating the human trafficking school safety protocol. So we've completed all eight site visits and look forward to writing up what we found. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing about Hype and your process evaluation of those eight projects. Where can we learn more about the program and RTI's evaluation findings? Earlier this summer, we published a summary report about the site's progress in year two, and we also published about their year one experiences in the previous year. To read these reports and to learn more about the study and other projects we are conducting as part of the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analysis Project, visit www.rti.org slash impact slash human dash trafficking dash policy dash research dash analysis. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Lily and Josh. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure to be here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like and follow Just Science on your platform of choice. For more information on today's topic and additional resources, you can find the link on the landing page for this episode. I'm Samantha Charm, and this has been another episode of Just Science.
This episode concludes our Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project mini-season. Tune in next time for a special release episode on enhancing conviction integrity through forensics as part of the Bureau of Justice Assistance's Sexual Assault Kit Initiative. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.